Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. This is today's Bible class. A short Bible study every single day, seven days a week, only about 13 or 14 minutes each day. But it keeps us in God's Word, and that's important as to our, our, our faith, because faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. We always encourage you, help people in your life grow in their faith. Stay strong in their faith by sharing these studies with them every day through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. You may help somebody grow in their faith. You may help somebody turn their life around and ultimately get to heaven. What a great blessing for them, but also for you. So make that commitment and start sharing today and every day. We're talking about a very basic, fundamental doctrine of New Testament Christianity. And when we're talking about New Testament Christianity, we're talking about God's plan for mankind, for mankind's forgiveness, redemption, salvation, eternal life. So very fundamental, very basic doctrine of New Testament Christianity, and that's baptism. Now, we're asking a question very fundamentally, what is baptism? Uh, one, what is the mode or the action of baptism? Is it sprinkling? Is it pouring? Is it immersion? Now, a whole lot of churches that call themselves Christians, they will practice sprinkling for baptism or pouring or maybe rubbing some water on a person's forehead and calling it baptism. And many others will practice total immersion baptism. And then there are some that are in between. They will say any of them works. You can sprinkle, you can pour, or you can be totally immersed. And in some cases, they may allow the individual who is being baptized to decide which one they want. Well, what does the scripture say? Remember that Jesus said in John 8 and verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now, what is that truth? Well, Jesus identified that also. In John chapter 17, in verse 17, he said, praying to the Father, he said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And Peter emphasized the importance of knowing the truth in regards to our salvation in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 22. He said, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. And then he says in verse 23, having been born again through the word of God. So we're talking about God's word being the truth by which we will be held accountable on the final day of judgment according to how we have accepted understood and lived by that truth, or have not understood it correctly, have not lived by it faithfully and obediently. Again, God would not expect something of us that was impossible. And God does not try to confuse us by throwing a whole lot of, of different teachings at us, different doctrines. And the word doctrine simply means teaching that can be taken in all kinds of different ways. When we're talking about basic doctrines of Christianity, it's straightforward. We, it, there's no question but that we can understand clearly and forthrightly 
and that we can make the proper applications based upon that clear understanding that is revealed to us in the scriptures themselves. And let me tell you, baptism is about as clear and straightforward and emphatic a doctrine of New Testament Christianity as you will find anywhere in the New Testament. Now again, how many times is baptism mentioned in the New Testament? 75 different verses in the New Testament. And some of those verses, a number of them, use the, the term more than once. And so you actually have you actually have 103 references to baptism in 75 New Testament verses. And 22 times it is mentioned or taught or referred to by our Lord himself. 22 times by Jesus himself. And 75 verses, 103 direct references. But then it is alluded to a number of other times, such as we read or referred to in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, where Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Also, in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, talks about the washing of regeneration. And then in, in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26, where the Apostle Paul refers to uh, the washing of water by the word, and those are just a few examples of allusions in other scriptures that don't use the word specifically, but they really are talking about baptism. Again, virtually every religious group that would claim to be Christian, with the exception of a very few, require or at least teach some kind of baptism for full membership. Now, I, I think I would qualify that to some extent because I think there are some religious groups that call themselves Christian that do not necessarily require baptism. Now, they think it's a good idea. They, they, they might even tell their, you know, the people who are listening to their teaching, you know, it'd probably be a good idea for you to do this. You probably ought to do this, but I, require it? I don't, don't know that they would require it. I heard a, a preacher one time on radio talk about baptism and said, you know, it's not necessary for salvation, but you ought to be baptized because the Bible teaches it. Well, now that's a contradiction in statements, isn't it? <laughs> if it's not necessary, why do you need to do it? But then she said, you ought to do it because the Bible teaches it. Well, do you need to do what the Bible says? Of course you do. Then that's a self-contradiction in the way she put that, the way she taught about baptism. Well, let's define the word baptize. We need to understand. Modern dictionaries define words according to current usage. And so their definitions may include a general definition, such as application of water, or maybe a broad definition, such as a Christian ceremony in which a person has water poured on their head or is covered for a very short time in water in order to show that they have become a member of the Christian church. Well, again, a broad 
wide understanding of baptism as laid out in a dictionary. The Bible must be allowed to define, however, its own terms. I learned a long time ago, a great many years ago, the Bible is its own best commentary. If we just pay attention to what it says about a particular subject, almost invariably, we'll come away and say, yeah, I get it. The Bible has laid it out for me. I may have to look at different contexts of Scripture that refer to that particular subject matter, but it will define itself. It will be its own best commentary. Now, we're not primarily interested in how people use the word today because there's a lot of applications there, a lot of broad, you know, interpretations. What we want to know is how God intended for the word to be understood, the word baptize. What does God's word say about it? The Bible translator's goal is to find the equivalent word in, a, in the second language from which a particular word is being translated to carry its, its true meaning to a, a different audience. So if you want to if you want to translate something from Spanish into English, you need to find the equivalent words from Spanish to be translated into English so the person in English reading that particular statement understands what it meant when it was originally written down in Spanish. Well, the New Testament is exactly that way. It was written originally in Koine Greek, and so we need to understand the equivalents when we translate it into any other language. What what are the equivalent words, in other words, the words that will express the exact same meaning from that original Greek language as we translate it into English or German or French or whatever other language you might be thinking about. So the Bible translator's goal is to find the equivalent word in the next language to which a particular word is being translated. Now, the word we're looking at is baptize. Here's, here's the reason for most of the confusion in the quote-unquote Christian world, and I'm using that term you know, very, very loosely again, all of those different churches, all of those different religious groups that call themselves Christian, here is the basic reason for the vast majority of the confusion on the subject of baptism. When it came to translating it into English, they didn't translate it into English. Now, you might say, well, what do you mean they didn't translate it into English? Well, you see, and we go back largely to the King James translators, going back to the 1600s, when the Bible began to be translated into English. And so when they came to that word, baptizo in the Greek, they were practicing sprinkling for baptism. That was the Church of England's practice, sprinkling. So they came to that particular word, what do we do? How do we translate that? There is no question that the Koine Greek, baptizo, means immerse, bury, dip, plunge, submerge, there, there's, there's no question about that. But you see, they were practicing. The common practice of the day, 
as their church was practicing it, was sprinkling. So what did they do? They confused a whole lot of people by transliterating the Greek characters from baptizo into equivalent English letters in the alphabet. And they came up with a brand new word, baptize. Well, so that was left open to the interpretation of anybody who would read the word in their New Testament translation. Baptize, what is that? Well, if you look around the countryside, the church of that day in that part of the world was practicing sprinkling. It must be sprinkling. That's not what the word means. A true translation would be immerse or submerge. The word baptize was not translated. It was transliterated. And so that is the basic reason, the fundamental cause for all of the confusion about whether baptism is sprinkling, pouring, rubbing some water on somebody's forehead, or total immersion. We'll dig a little bit deeper next time. Let's pray. Father, help us to open our eyes to the truth of your word, and help us, Father, to embrace, accept, and obey that truth, and thereby glorify you by having our lives right before you. Please forgive us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.